0: Hey there Conquerors, welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 98 of the show and today we have Alex Fisher with us and Alex is the CEO of the Columbus Partnership and I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Alex has a lot of great insights and experiences, especially into the Columbus market and where we're heading. I hope you guys enjoy the episode and of course we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone. And hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state, And for more information,
1: head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools, property management manufacturing fast casual restaurants you can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: mike here again do you want to be a sponsor of conquering columbus we are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018 to inquire about how you can help support the podcast please send an email to mike at conquering all right conquerors, let's get the show on the road
1: know you have to choose it and you know it's hard.
2: I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo. A desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.
0: Hey there Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show we have Alex Fisher and Alex is the president and CEO of the Columbus Partnership, a civic organization of Columbus, Ohio's top business leaders formed in 2002 to improve the economic and cultural base of central Ohio. Uh, he has served on numerous nonprofit and for profit boards and is currently serving as chairman for Nationwide Children's Hospital, amongst other board positions. Uh, he's had experience in government as well, serving as the deputy governor and chief of staff for Tennessee Governor Don. Sundquist. And before stepping in as CEO of the Columbus Partnership, Alex served as the Senior VP for Business and Economic Development at Patel. Uh, we'd be here all night if we tried to list all of Alex's accomplishments and positions, but needless to say, we are very excited to have him here on the show today, and welcome to Concrete Columbus, Alex. Great to be here. Yeah, so what's, uh, how's your day been going so far? You know, it's
2: going great. I'm suffering from a little bit of a sinus uh, infection. The spring weather's uh, wreaking havoc on my voice today, but so I'll... Uh, I apologize for uh sounding scratchy today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well we appreciate
0: you joining us even when you're feeling a little under the weather and um kind of how we like to start is always what's a typical
2: day look like for you? You know, I've got a um I've got a game of whack-a-mole on my desk uh because several years ago I said this job's just like playing whack-a-mole. And my, some of my staff got it for me for my birthday. And just kind of a reminder that uh you know, my day is so unpredictable about, you know, you know, which phone's going to ring, who's going to be on the other line, what issues going on around Columbus that uh, somebody might need help on. So um, typical days very unpredictable. Do you like that? Does that energize you? I do. It is, uh, it's, a, it's a fun part of what I, I, I really love about what I'm doing, which is this cool intersection of business and philanthropy and community uh, politics all mixed together, uh, which are all passions of mine. And then they yield, uh, you know, no day being the, the same. You know, every now and then you get a little tired, <laughs> but um, I can't imagine, um, you know, not doing it.
1: So before we dive too deep into what you got going on today, we usually like to start it back at the beginning and talk about your childhood and your upbringing. Um, then we will work our way through college and progress from there.
2: Yeah, so I grew up in a suburb of Nashville, uh, Hendersonville, which was known as a, in the day as a country music haven and grew up around the... Uh, around the street from uh, Johnny Cash and Tammy Wynette. And used to ride to elementary school with Tammy Wynette's uh, daughter, Jeanette Jones, Um, and had no idea the kind of environment I was living in. It's kind of fun to go back. My mom and dad are still in the house that they built 55 years ago when they first got married. And uh, it was a very, that that sounds real grandiose, being around the country music stars. They were school teachers um, and spent their career uh, teaching school my dad was my high school physics and geometry teacher he was an engineer that pretty quickly gave up an engineering career to teach school so um, we had a you know a a middle you know class if not lower middle class uh, upbringing Uh, mom and dad didn't uh, uh, work during the summertime, so we spent a lot of time playing and traveling and packing up the car and driving to california and uh, you know going to the beach Um, and we had dinner every night at home uh, before mom and dad would grade their papers for the night kind of got to watch uh, how hard school teachers uh, worked and uh, what a big impact they have Um, so it was very uh, fun uh, upbringing Uh, great household had a brother uh, three years older than I was what does he do now He's a he's a city engineer. Uh, runs the engineering uh, department in Greensboro, North Carolina. So we both went to the University of Tennessee. And Dad always said, if you don't know what you want to do, be an engineer because they can, uh, you know, you can always find a job. And that's what my brother did. And took the first job out of school in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he's been there the rest of his uh, career.
1: So with such a hands-on upbringing like that, do you feel like you know some some kids, um, they they kind of start to rebel towards their older age and they want to get away from what their parents had them doing in that mold sounds like obviously you didn't take that path but you just, uh, what was your vision there?
2: Yeah. You know, um, uh, it, it is interesting to reflect, uh, because, um, I probably took at some level of opposite paths from, from my dad. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily rebellious. He's a great guy. and we had to love him a lot and a great upbringing. Um, but he wasn't a business guy, and he wasn't uh, a political figure. Um, he was smart as all get out. Um, uh, but my passions were elsewhere, and um, I often think he he and mom probably scratch your head trying to figure out, uh, you know, I've done a bunch of different things in my career, and uh, the idea that I jumped around and uh, moved around probably never totally made sense uh, from their perspective. But um, yeah, I think there's probably some truth. It would be fun to see my kids are both in college um, uh, right now. It would be fun to see if the uh, boomerang uh, goes in the other direction now.
0: <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, from there, going to Tennessee, uh, University of Tennessee in Knoxville, correct? And uh, uh, why did you choose University of Tennessee, and, and what was your experience like there?
2: You know, it was um, um, if you were a kid growing up without a lot of means, Um, I remember considering uh, Vanderbilt and it was kind of like well I don't know how you would ever pay to go to a place like that and uh, it was easy Um, you kind of applied and showed up and I'd love to say that uh, there was as much thought as uh, I watched my kids go through when they were choosing colleges and uh, uh, it was sort of uh, as much as anything uh, what you did my dad had gone there Um, and so just kind of follow in the footsteps and go over to Knoxville, and we always uh, cheered for the volunteers growing up. So uh, easy thing to uh, wear the same uh, Tennessee uh, sweatshirts that I had in the closet.
0: Did the, uh, and so when you got there, did you know exactly what you wanted to study? I mean, you graduated with a degree in business administration. Did you? Did you say, hey, this is what I want to do, or did you kind of figure it out as you went? It was
2: kind of interesting. I um, I often tell young people the easiest way to make God laugh is to show them your plans and uh, tell my own kids, you know, don't worry about whether or not you know exactly what you want to do. I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I was 16 or 17 years old, um, and that was be an urban planner. Um, and... Um, Actually, one of the reasons that I did go to the University of Tennessee is I had a graduate school in planning and architecture, and I was fascinated by urban planning, um, and I had set my mind that that's what I wanted to do. And my backup plan was to try to be governor of uh, Tennessee, um, and I knew that uh, in some kind of a weird way, uh, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager.
1: Your backup plan is most people's first plan, which right. I, think is, I think is interesting about that scenario. So, you graduate college, and then what does the path look like from there?
2: You know, I graduated college and, um, you know, out of undergraduate school, went and worked um, for a little while for Al Gore in the United States Senate, and went and worked in Tennessee's legislature, and then went back to graduate school. And um, I had an assistantship in uh, graduate school, and on the first day of school, uh, I thought I was going to get the assignment for the professor that I was meeting with, and I met with the director of our program, and he uh, asked if I would do an assignment with something called the Tennessee Technology Foundation, a guy named Lamar Alexander, who had been the governor of uh, Tennessee and who was somebody, if for no other reason, his name was, uh, I had a come-on-along Alexander bumper sticker on my door uh, growing up as a kid, which is probably where the vision for wanting to be in politics was. He was the president of the University of Tennessee at the time. and. They had started something called the Tennessee Technology Foundation to do tech-based economic development between the Oak Ridge National Lab and the University of Tennessee, and they had a little nonprofit and asked if I would uh, go and um, uh, uh, be an intern, in essence, do my assistantship uh, by working for them for the next couple of years. And uh, on a whim, I said yes, and uh, you know, just to the adage of um, your plans changing, uh, you know, that moment. Uh, uh, probably change the entire trajectory of everything that I've done based on the people that I met uh, over the next couple of years and in, in the in the uh, uh, paths that it would take me.
1: Maybe just a little bit more on that. I think sometimes when people are successful and they um, achieve significant things early on in their life, they tend to put a lot of it to chance and they forget about the more granular details of what it took to get there. What may, What do you think helped you land? You know, a role um, in your position, helping out with the El Gore and, and things that you were going on there, and then, then jumping in and then helping the governor, like, how did that unfold?
2: Yeah, you know, I was, um, you know, if you, it 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 unfolded in part because I was uh, fanatical, um, and probably nerdy about it um, of uh, issues facing uh, Tennessee in politics. I would go to the library every Thursday to get something called the Tennessee Journal, and it was a uh, uh, expensive, probably cost. Uh, $250 for a subscription for a year but I certainly couldn't afford that but I could go to the library pick up a copy on Thursday when it came out and it had all the kind of highlights of what was happening around Tennessee and politics uh, when I was in high school I would I would always uh, rush down on Wednesday nights our weekly newspaper would come out to to grab it and find out what was happening around town had this insatiable appetite for kind of current events and, and news and and really you know cultivated it. and oh by the way I was you know doing what every other kid was doing as well. Um, so it wasn't like I was only holed up uh, doing that but for some reason I had a real interest in that and uh, I think when you're doing that it shows and people you know uh, you know can tell and you know the questions you ask and the curiosity that you have and the things that you uh, raise your hand to, to try to do.
0: Yeah, and so uh, from from there, uh, at, at what point did you go back and get your master's in architecture and planning, or is that immediately after you graduated?
2: Yeah, so graduate, do the stint in Washington and in uh, the Tennessee State Legislature for about a year, and then um, uh, went to graduate school. Came out of, while in graduate school, was doing the, the Tech Foundation uh, deal. And while doing it, uh, as I was looking towards graduation, um, I founded a, a non-profit called the um, Um, technology 2020 it was a tech-based incubator in oak ridge tennessee and um, uh, it's a bit of a long story but we saw an opportunity to grab some money from south central bell now bell south uh, monies that they had overcharged customers and were uh, rebating them a few pennies uh, on their bill and uh, happened to do the public service commissioner of uh, tennessee and uh, we proposed an idea of doing a telecom uh, demonstration project founded a little uh, company it operated for 25 years Uh, one of the first things we did was um, buy some equipment to become the uh, first internet service provider uh, in East Tennessee we weren't even sure what that was (laughs) and uh, quickly decided probably in a in a dumb move that that wasn't exactly appropriate for a nonprofit and sold the equipment to a company that uh, became U.S. Internet um, uh, in Knoxville. So I started that nonprofit, um, got it organized, worked with it for several years, um, you know, before uh, deciding to leave it.
0: And from there, did you you join the governor's?
2: I didn't. I joined our PR firm, uh, PR and advertising firm that I had hired when I was in the nonprofit and at this time, I think I'm 24, or 25 years old. Um, I'm expecting much, 40. I was going <laughs> to say you have had a much busier 25 yeah, so years than I did. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was fun and fast. I um, I've often wondered if I'd have just picked something and stayed after it. Maybe you know, maybe I could have what the success might have looked like. But so um, became good friends with the owner of the firm, and we had a bunch of ideas, and I joined up with them and his as Daryl Akins and his partner, Charlie Tombris and became their chief operating officer and, um, had a nice stint for four or five years, uh, PR and advertising, uh, world. Uh, while I was doing that, um, you know, um, several of our partners were very big in Republican politics. Um, now mind you, I had worked for Al Gore, uh, and, um, um, worked uh, for a Democratic uh, chairman of the st- State House and Local Government Committee in the in the Tennessee Legislature. Um, those were forming my political persuasions, by the way, um, um, uh, had a lot of fun over the years with mm-hmm. Gore, you know, telling me I worked for him and then I went over to the dark side. <laughs> um, was working around a series of Republicans who knew a guy that was running for governor, uh, Don Sunquist, And our PR and advertising firm was very active um, in his campaign and uh, working with him uh, and got to know him. Uh, even before going into state government, we had a client, uh, uh, Magellan Healthcare, that was interested in behavioral health. And I had a good friend whose uh, son, who was like a brother to me, had... Uh, passed away uh, from a suicide uh, that was a result of a bipolar disease. And we formed a behavioral health care company that uh, we grew all over Tennessee uh, in partnership with Magellan. Um, so was doing the PR deal, uh, was involved in this passion around behavioral health. Um, and um, there was a There was a headline in the Wall Street Journal. The governor had been elected. He was in office. We were actually doing some work with him. There was a headline in the Wall Street Journal that said, Tennessee is out of business in economic development. And the governor said, we've got to fix this. And he asked me and a couple of other people to come into state government. Um, I think I was 28 at that point in time. I said, okay, um, what's it pay? and they said it's uh, pays uh, $75,000 a year and I said gosh I have to cut my salary in half moved to Nashville um, and uh, served uh, as a commissioner of economic development leading the department of economic development and then in the governor's second term um, as uh, his deputy and chief of staff so I uh, had a, uh, a circuitous route um, uh, to uh, doing all of that.
0: And. So a lot of people never have the experience to work in, in government at all, much less as a deputy, uh, deputy governor, and chief of staff. Can you get a little more granular on your experience with, with the government and what that was like? Uh, and, uh, and you know how that maybe differs from your experience with interacting with government here in Ohio?
2: Well, I think um, I'm a big believer that um, it's valuable if you're interested in government or you work around government. Um, To work both in the private sector and also work inside government, I think the time that I spent in state government uh, greatly um, has um, given me a set of experiences now that I work with government uh, to know what it's like on the other side of the uh, other side of the table. Um, You know, especially doing it, you know, where I had the kind of the wingspan of uh, 22 state agencies reporting to me. Uh, it was sort of like the whack a mole game Um, every single day something different was happening a variety of you know problems and issues in addition to what you were trying to advance on the state were going on and so um, i was a bit of the jack of all trades um, a bit of the problem solver uh, especially when i was in the governor's office Um, the department of economic development was a little easier in that uh, it was singularly focused on you know job creation in the program of economic development but even there you are always dealing with the variety of you know um tennessee's uh multiple counties you know 95 counties in tennessee means uh, you know hundreds of mayors and officials that you're having to deal with and you know they come in all shapes and sizes and uh, personalities and so a lot of lessons just coming uh, in how to deal with the diversity of issues, how to parallel process, uh, you know, when doing those. Um, you know, the, the maybe the most interesting uh, story of parallel processing for me in state government uh, crescendoed on 9-11. And uh, Governor Sundquist was out of the state and, um, you know, there's an, uh, at, at some level, You know, you're given responsibilities. um, And it was an intense day, uh, and we were worried about the Tennessee Valley Authority nuclear plants and the Oak Ridge National Lab. And, you know, we didn't know what was going on in the world all around us. And I remember going home that night and uh, being awoken in the middle of the night with a security call uh, um, that the troopers were outside to take me back downtown because we'd had an incident in Tennessee and we convened about 4:30 in the morning uh, in the Tennessee Emergency Management Center uh, and we'd had a bus driver that had had their uh, uh, had been killed had their uh, throat slit uh, by a quote unquote Iranian uh, terrorist and the bus had flipped upside down killed a number of people turned out it wasn't a terrorist attack we didn't know it at the time and um, we probably made all the stereotypical, not only us, but folks in Washington, D.C., and the White House, were making all the you know, questionable, stereotypical uh, assumptions. And we finished up uh, a call with the White House at about uh, 6.30, and most of the governor's senior team were around the table, and he turns to me, and he, I always kept the pocket card, he called it, and that was a pocket, pocket card of issues, he said, Alex, get out your card. Uh, you know, let's talk about the day. And, I was, and I'm sitting here thinking, holy cow. I mean, we, are, we don't know what's happening to us right now. Um, the world is swirling and upside down. And my governor is telling me we're going to talk about education reform and tax reform. We're going to do the bidding on all the other things. He's because we're all convened. There's nothing more that we're going to do on that issue till we get some more guidance. Uh, so we've got work to do. And it was this constant example that you always have to be parallel processing and know how to turn things on and off uh, even when one side of the uh, of the ledger may be dealing with uh, the biggest crisis you've ever faced
0: yeah I, you know I'm just processing that a little bit, but it's definitely an incredible you know it's an incredible example of you know having to take negative events and not necessarily put a positive spin, but work through them and find a way to get you know the most out of every second you have and having the whole team together like that, well, hey, we might as well do some work. It makes a lot of sense to me. But uh, from there, can we talk a little bit about leaving Tennessee and coming to Columbus? How did you end up in Columbus,
2: Ohio? You know, so I ended up in Columbus first flying the state airplane uh, and landing at, um, at what I thought was the Columbus airport. It turned out it was the OSU airport. <laughs> And I remember when we we landed and we pulled up at Don Scott uh, thinking, well this is kind of a dumpy little airport. Um, And we came down Riverside Drive and it was a foggy uh, fall afternoon and we were going to Patel's headquarters um, on King Avenue Uh, because we were working on a deal. Uh, We had a vision of the University of Tennessee getting involved in the management of the Oak Ridge National Lab. We were trying to In state government, we were trying to raise the profile of the university's uh, research mission and uh, its engineering school. And we had a vision that if we could get into the co-management of the laboratory, uh, like the University of California system did at some other national labs, large Livermore, Los Alamos National Lab, that that would be a route to do it. And we were interviewing uh, partners, and I was in Columbus to kind of do the final conversation with Patel. And that night, uh, we went to uh, a restaurant. This was probably in 1997, 1998. We went to a restaurant in the short north. I remember it very well. It's called Rigsby's. Uh, It was fairly new then, doesn't exist today. Uh, It was a great restaurant with a good vibe. You walked out into the short north and, and the arches didn't work. The lights didn't work. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember having this impression. Well, those are interesting arches, but what's wrong with the lights? And they said, oh, there's something wrong with the contractor. And I was staying at the High Regency, and it was a nice fall night, and I, we had done a celebratory dinner because we had decided to partner with Patel. And I said, I'll walk to my hotel. It's only a few blocks from here. And they said, oh, you can't do that. It's a war zone, literally. Um, and the short north was nothing like it is today. Uh, they drive me back to the hotel, and there's still a state penitentiary where the um, train station where the, um, where the arena district is today. And that was my impression of Columbus. And I've often thought if, you, if you'd done the first trip today, uh, how different the first impression would be uh, because that same 20-year time period is really the tale of uh, Columbus's uh, evolution. Um that was 1997 2000 i think we won the oak ridge national lab contract Um, uh, we i was on the tennessee side of it uh, in state government in 98 or 99 and uh, Battelle took over the management uh, in collaboration with the university of tennessee and in 2001 i think um I was having a dinner with the Executive Vice President of Battelle, and we were reminiscing and talking about the future, and I was telling them about a job that I had accepted uh, to become the uh, number two uh, at a company called Corrections Corporation of America. Um, and uh, I had 400,000 shares of stock options and uh, one hell of a contract that I was really excited about, uh, literally the millions of dollars that I was getting ready to make. And, and this guy's name was Bill Mady, he said, gosh, as exciting as that is, I always thought that maybe we'd do something together uh, at Patel." And one of the uh, uh, few pieces, but it was a good piece of uh, uh, advice, uh, great advice from my former wife, mother of my kids, uh, gave me. She says, I can't quite figure out how you're going to wake up every day. Uh, I know you're going to make a lot of money um, managing private prisons. Um, and I decided to dump that offer I still sometimes uh, look at the stock market and do the calculation of uh, you know what the stocks worth today uh, but I never looked back and joined Battelle um, a fabulous uh, organization um, with a great mission um, started at the Oak Ridge National Lab and ultimately uh, you know moved to Columbus You know, by the way, I still on occasion will stop by Green Lawn Cemetery, which probably sounds like the strangest thing that anybody would ever do, and go by the uh, Battelle uh, Mausoleum there. And um, they're great writings. Uh, One of the great organizations, great stories of philanthropy, taking a million-dollar gift in his will to form an institute to further the purposes of mankind through research and development and the education of men and women in philanthropic giving. Uh, in Franklin County and the rule was corporate officers of Battelle have to live in Franklin County and so as I rose up the ranks um, uh, we did it uh, from Oak Ridge for a while and ultimately had to move to Franklin County to be a part of the Battelle Corporation.
1: So I think what's the most intriguing to me about your story and what I you know I mean like the most about it is that you're not driven um, by the money or external things very much it seems like you're you know, driven very intrinsically and there's something inside you that was more wanted to be passionate about what you were doing. Um I guess, you know, what do you think that is at a deeper level? Like obviously doing good things for other people usually makes you feel good, but it doesn't always motivate people to completely change the trajectory of their career away from millions of dollars.
2: I think I learned this from my dad. My my, my dad grew up um in a fairly wealthy household and his father had passed away young. He inherited some money and enabled him to be a school teacher and still, you know have a good life and I watched him you know never care about money I watched him live in the same house it was a little modest house and he could have sold it and done a lot of other things and and by the way um, um, I you know it's almost embarrassing to think how much more money I have made so I've done you know well even uh, without you know just going crazy but always kind of rooted in you know you know doing good for others um, and I think I, th- I think that comes in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I have a lot, of, I, it's, it's weird, but I have a number of friends um, and colleagues, both in Tennessee and Ohio and elsewhere, that are billionaires. And uh, I, somewhere along the line, figured I would never be a billionaire, but I could have a billion dollars of impact um, in my community and with my passions. Um, um, and oh, by the way, I'm, you know, um, You know, I'm not completely uh, modest. I, you know, do enjoy making a buck or two and, uh, you know, doing some entrepreneurial things. But it's never been the driving uh, factor. And uh, I I think it's probably, uh, you know, my mom and dad that um, I can trace that back to.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, was there any particular experiences at Patel or during your time from, you know, leaving the governor's office to – to the end of your time at Battelle, any particular experiences, mentors uh, that shaped your your future career as part of the Columbus partnership or your future path in any way?
2: Yeah, you know, when I when I um, when I left Tennessee and joined Battelle, I was well. When I joined Battelle, I was in Oak Ridge. I actually thought I was going to run for governor, um, and sort of tried for a little while uh, before uh, deciding that wasn't in the cards. Um, I remember the meeting with a series of political advisors, and I was kind of a um, pro-life, anti-gun, tax reform uh, uh, Republican, which meant, in a lot of people's eyes, uh, I wasn't much of a Republican. Yeah, you're too moderate. (laughs) And um, I was right in the middle of the road, uh, Howard Baker Republican, or uh, Lamar Alexander, or my good friend Bob Corker, and um, I'm worried that the world of politics is losing that moderation and as a moderate Republican you couldn't win the primary um, literally I had the plan to raise the money uh, I had been uh, in part uh, an architect of the failed income tax uh, proposal of our Republican administration working with the Democrats um, I had the title of a rhino Republican in name only by what was didn't really see it exactly, but it was, you know, fast-moving Republican Party to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, but knew that it wasn't in the cards for me, and decided to really buckle down and kind of work on the business world. And that was when I moved to Columbus. I was uh, involved in Battelle's venturing investments, our intellectual property. I was traveling 200 nights uh, a year, 100 nights in, a year in Asia. We were. Starting up and I founded uh, something called 360 IP that was doing intellectual property management for Asian based uh, organizations and kind of had my nose in the grindstone of uh, the business side. Candidly had um, a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth from the political world. Um, it wasn't the, the best of exits, um, you know, in that. Um, Still had not quite done exactly everything that I might have wanted to in the in the political world, but I was comfortable with it, and just kind of moving on to uh, to a different era. So, um, my time at Battelle in those early days was out of sight, out of mind from a from a uh, community and a political standpoint. First couple of years in Columbus, uh, uh, I knew Columbus through the through the airport and uh, the soccer fields for my kids' soccer games on the weekends, uh, but I wasn't uh, around Columbus a lot, certainly wasn't involved in the community at all. And then one day, our CEO, uh, who was a member of the Columbus Partnership, um, I think there were 12 members of the partnership at that time, um, came to my office and said that uh, a group of them were worried about economic development. And he had told them, the them was, you know, Les Wexner and John Wolfe and Jack Kessler and several others, that he had a guy who used to do economic development in Tennessee and that uh, he would ask me if I'd be willing to uh, come to dinner and talk about economic development and things that we had done. Hey there, Conkers.
0: Sorry for the quick pause here in the interview, but wanted to let you know at this point we had some janitorial staff in the office, uh, and they started doing a little vacuuming, which unfortunately we couldn't get all the background noise off the track. So apologies for that background vacuuming going on here. But I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Let's get back into it.
2: Um, I did that. I then um, uh, got involved. Uh, they asked me to volunteer to lead a study. And uh, in Columbus fashion, watch out what you volunteer for, because now uh, a decade later, here I am.
0: From there, let's talk about the early years of Columbus Partnership. When did you, so when did you first sign on with the organization?
2: Yeah, so it was 10 years ago. Right. Um, that um, um, it was, you know, me and a desk and uh, an assistant. And uh, we had a vision of uh, trying to build an economic development program. Uh, Economic development didn't exist in Columbus. Um, um, uh, So it was a big transition at the partnership, uh, you know, from a group of CEOs who were gathered to do good in the community and had a motto of uh, making sure they never uh, 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 didn't do good, um, but we're struggling in terms of what was the real mission of the partnership. And we're rallying around uh, this topic of uh, economic uh, development. Les Wexner often says, the main thing is the main thing is the main thing. You, know, you say that three times quickly. It's all about what are you going to be focused on. And we had declared the main thing at that time was economic development. Now, consider when that was. This was right after the, you know, economic crash. Um, And so uh, we were coming out of, you know, a real economic uh, downturn and um, uh, had a vision that uh, Columbus could get focused on it. Now, today, the partnership's gone from, you know, 12 to 70 CEOs that leave their selfish interest at the door, bring their community interest to the table. We built Columbus 2020, raised tens of millions of dollars for what is now recognized around the country as you know, if not the number one, one of the top economic development uh, organizations in the community. Uh, last several years, we've been the fastest growing city, greater than a million people. Um, and uh, we are really you know on fire, just won the Smart Cities uh, program uh, you know, any number of uh, economic uh, development uh, successes. Uh, so it's been a fun ride. Uh, it's not all about us, uh, it takes a village, and the whole community's, uh, you know, been working hard to, you know, continue to up our game uh, here in Columbus.
1: So, what does the future look like for you and your team at the partnership, and what are some initiatives you guys have working on um, in the near future?
2: Well, you know, look, we're, we're asking ourselves a question now. You know, I'm asking a decade later or eight years after forming Columbus 2020. This year we'll surpass all our, our goals. We'll hit $8 billion of capital investment and 150000 net new jobs and personal incomes are at an all-time high. Uh, we're asking where do we go now from this new platform of success? Um, and we've toyed with this saying of uh, we're at the end of the beginning, Um, And at some level, I feel like we're just getting started. Mm -hmm. Um, It was hard to see it uh, that way 10 years ago. Uh, But you look around the city and you look at uh, the vibrancy of downtown and cranes that are everywhere. Nobody would have ever thought we could have beat out all the cities that we did for the smart cities win. You know, we damn well nearly won the Democratic National Convention experience. Columbus has the Super Bowl of... um, uh, conventions in a few years coming. Uh, we just hosted this fabulous, uh, women's, uh, NCAA basketball tournament. Just, you could go on and on and on. Uh, Columbus is on a roll. So we're asking ourselves a question how are we going to reinvent ourselves? What are we going to do? How are we going to up our game? Uh, because, oh, by the way, uh, there's cities all over the world that are also upping their game. And so this has been a big year for us of introspection to, you know, to say, okay, um uh, uh, we can declare victory, but we're not done. Uh, so uh, we're kind of declaring uh, victory on the first inning uh, or maybe the first quarter. Right. Um, uh, but we've got a long way to go. Um, and I think our future's extraordinarily bright. I think we are planning and shaping uh, the great new American city and redefining what the American city is and what it means to have... CEOs who collaborate uh, uh, with great mayors and great governors and how you can get things done uh, at the city level uh, when Washington, D.C.'s in total dysfunction. Uh, it's not a political statement. It's just simply a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think this power of cities, which the Harvard Business School writes about, they they teach the Columbus Way, a business case study, to leaders all over the world about how city leaders in the public and private sector work together uh, to get things done. Um, I think the future is harnessing that uh, for continued growth. Um, I think we're going, we've grown now, for million people. We're going to grow to 3 million people in the next decade or 15 years. Um, I don't doubt it for a second, but I also think it means we've got to be thinking differently about how we plan our city. Um, You know, we're sort of 20 minutes from everywhere in Columbus when we lose that and have our commutes like Austin does, game over uh, from an economic uh, development standpoint. Uh, And increasingly, we have to acknowledge that uh, not everybody's uh, uh, enjoying the successes. Um, We have to look ourselves in the mirror and say there's a a bigger and bigger divide of have-and-have-nots and that we need prosperity for everybody. Um, and that's not uniquely the Columbus, but I think a place like Columbus is uniquely positioned to, to do that. We've, we've actually been saying uh, uh, economic development being our mission uh, or economic prosperity. We're now saying economic prosperity for all and what's inclusive economic development going to look like. We haven't completely figured it out yet, and I'm not sure that we ever will. Um, but we're constantly playing with it and tinkering with it. And this year, in particular, as we kind of hit the goals of Columbus 2020, we're really focused on what comes next.
1: What about personal goals? Like, I mean, for your you know growth and development looking forward. Um, you know, you said you have some kids in college, family-wise, and and what kind of motivates you to wake up in the morning?
2: Well, you know, um, you know, maybe not to get too personal, but um, I had this interesting journey that I was on this great, you know, path. Uh, you you come a guy, you're doing all these things at a young age, having uh, great success. But um, um, I hadn't figured out who I was um, uh, until I was in my late 30s and maybe early 40s. And um, it was a great feeling personally to be here in Columbus and to fall in love and to get remarried and to be grounded in uh, a degree of honesty uh, personally and to realize uh, that you had things that were missing and then to, to acknowledge those and to face those demons, if you will, um, and to come out the backside of that even stronger. Um, it forms my personal goals of um, you know, wanting to maintain that balance and recognizing there were lots of times in life in which you can lose the balance, but you generally lose the balance when you're not at peace with yourself. And so uh, understanding that, maintaining that peace, which maintains the balance, uh, I think makes, uh, uh, makes for me um, uh, an ability to be even a stronger leader. I'd love to go back. I don't want to, I've done that, been there but I chuckle at all the things I was doing in the political world you know, back then when I didn't have balance and um, I was probably too arrogant to even realize uh, what I didn't know. Uh, it'd be kind of fun to go back uh, now with a little bit more balance uh, and a little bit more wisdom that has come with uh, figuring some things out uh, and, and try it all over again. I don't want to do that, but what I want to do is wrap all of that together and uh, keep uh channeling that for productive good
1: and i don't want to uh drag the question out too long but maybe just to touch one more on that what do you think you figured out from you know when you became you know reached the coo level at 25 26 years old compared to what you are now what, what what in terms of the importance in life seems different to you then than what does now if any
2: you know i think um it's a good question um
1: wasn't on the outline, so. Yeah. so you get
2: a second to think. But, you know, if I, if you know, again, with, you know, out trying to turn this into psychobabble, um, I, I, I think I was, I was running for something. I was running um, to win the race, but I didn't even know what race I was in. Um, and, you know, it was, the, you know, moving at a phonetic pace, uh, my, my theory was to always wake up and work harder. I, I knew I wasn't smarter, but I knew I could work harder. Uh, and so I could get up, I could be the first person at the office and the last person to leave, and that was going to be my edge to win. But it never dawned on me what I was trying to win at. I was trying to win at achievement. I, you know, anything I could do to keep achieving. Um, and then sometimes you get hit uh uh, with a pound of bricks that uh, knock you back, and you say, "Okay, you know, what what am I doing this for, um, and what am I after?" And it it took some real, you know, self reflection. Um, uh, and I honestly believe I didn't get to know myself till I was forty, and that's a sad statement uh, because I lived a great life. It wasn't a bad life, but if you really begin to discover who your inner self truly is, where your passions are, what you believe in, uh, and get grounded in it, um, you know, so at least uh, I was an 80 uh, when I figured that out. So, um, you know, it's probably more than you want to know, uh, maybe even more than I want to share. But, uh, I, 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 you know, the lesson in it for me is uh, it's never too late Uh, in the lesson for others uh, I think is um, it's never too early to really be uh, you know checking yourself to ask uh, what game is it you're trying to win.
1: Yeah it's not it's not too much for us and I appreciate your vulnerability on your end but I think that uh, you know to hear someone that's reached the level of success you have but not only reached the level of success you have taken multiple paths in life that weren't necessarily um, the ones that some people who are motivated by other things might have taken to understand when He's reflecting back on things, you know, what really became meaningful and um, what he learned throughout the course of his life. I think is, is immeasurable to people. Yeah,
2: I had a partner that challenged me. My wife, uh, at that point, was my partner, um, and to be vulnerable and to realize that you can have somebody that can really challenge you, rock you to your core, uh, you know, help you to, you know, become better. Uh, and challenge and demand you to be better, um, you know, was a part of that learning and process for me as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's hard because sometimes you're afraid to admit you don't know what you want, right? It's tough when you're – especially when, you know, you're just out of college, you're supposed to know exactly what, you're, what you want to do, and, and you're supposed to go on this life path, and you got it all laid out. but <laughs> Really, in your head, you don't have any idea what you want
2: to do. Easiest way to make God laugh is to show him your plans. Did I tell you that I knew exactly what I wanted to do yeah. when I was 16? <laughs> and how ridiculous is that, mm-hmm. by the way, to bring this full circle? Yeah. I mean, who in the world knows what they want to do when they're 16 or 17? Well, I did. I wanted to be an urban planner. <laughs> uh, I was a president of our student body in high school, and I led the charge at City Hall to keep the antebellum home next to our high school from being torn down to become a Walmart and we won and I went to city council every Tuesday night and I would stand up and citizens comment and I got very interested in, uh, in planning and uh, the urban fabric of a place. Uh, I had this political bug and I was, I was goofy enough to say that's exactly what I wanna do mm-hmm. uh, or arrogant enough uh, and or blinded enough that you would maybe miss getting to know yourself and have a little bit of fun in the journey because mine was the drive to go achieve it uh without any fault whatsoever so
1: and i think you know making that more um abstract in a sense it's like i i think people if they wake up and live passionately and focus on the deeper core values that they're living throughout their day rather than chasing more um, materialized goals and 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 avenues of life i almost think that you know hearing your story and applying it to you know i've spent several years Worried that I didn't know exactly what I want to do. I still don't know what I want to do or where I want to be, yep. and I almost felt like part of those. I wasn't living fulfilled. I was kind of wasting part of those years thinking that I was disappointed in myself for not knowing. But I think if you focus on those core values and keep it, um, you know, more. What are you passionate about and making that your focus? Maybe it's better off. But kind of, kind of taking you down the philosophical rabbit hole at <laughs> yeah, this point. Right. Yeah, brought yeah, it's, uh, no, it's fun. Right. Got, got a couple of final questions that we can wrap up with. So I'll pass it over to Mike. And yeah, so. Uh, and when he says a couple, he means one. And our, our I might have one more. That's why I always leave it open. He, he, likes to,
0: uh, he likes to jump in with extra questions up. from time to time. <laughs> but uh, our final question, folks, is on the theme of our show here at Conquering Columbus. And that's Live Uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about us or why we chose Live Uncomfortably as our theme, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life?
2: Well, I think we've been describing maybe some of it. Um, you know, for me um, – Living uncomfortable is being able to constantly uh, be interested in the things that you don't know, to always ask yourself, even when you're on top. By the way, Columbus is on top. We're one of the best cities in America, and we can't forget it. Uh, I think we were a little bashful in Columbus and uh, you know, still hold ourselves back uh, uh, by not believing uh, that we are on top. But just because you're on top doesn't mean uh, that you shouldn't. Make yourself uncomfortable about the future, that you shouldn't be curious about what other, in my instance, great cities are doing, uh, great cities of the world. Uh, what can we learn from them? Uh, what are we going to do to up our game? So uh, I think when I hear that phrase, uh, it makes me think about how do we not um, rest on our laurels? Uh, how, do we don't, how do we not declare victory but maybe just uh, declare that we're ahead at halftime?
0: And I think, Alex, that's a great place to wrap up the show, unless Josh over there has his his final question. Nope. Yep. He's shaking his <laughs> head. So, Alex, thanks a lot for joining us today.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, Good really to be with you. It. A lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it was. And we really appreciate you joining the show. Uh, Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening. That was Alex Fisher, CEO and president of the Columbus Partnership. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org.
1: And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software they serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done.
1: Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Not just be status
2: quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.